The way I always think about fundraising is that capital is an accelerant. It allows you to do the things that you can do well now better. And by better, I mean you're no longer resource constrained on trying to build, on trying to partner, trying to, to market the, the in, for the things that you're already doing well today. Um, what I don't think it is, is a way to fix problems. Welcome to The Funded, a series where we chat with founders who have recently raised a round of funding in the Web3 space. I'm Ivailo, and I'm a part of the Deadless Collective. We're a group of uh, angels who invest together and have been investing together for the last two years and have backed some of the leading projects in the space. First, a couple of disclosures. Uh, some of the companies that we uh, invite to the show uh, would be portfolio companies of Deadless or potentially portfolio companies of some of the individual members. Some of the members may be LPs in some of the funds that are discussed on the show. None of the uh, information here is uh, any kind of advice, financial advice or any other type of advice. We're just trying to help the community uh, think about their next fundraising, think about how to find their investors and ultimately make the process more smooth. Hopefully you enjoy and let's dig in. Perfect. Okay. So today is the recording of the very first episode of the Funded series, which we thought uh, we wanted to uh, present to the community and uh, in hope that we can help uh, founders with their funding rounds. Uh, our very first guest is uh, Ismail from Lagrange. Uh, he has recently closed his round. Uh, thank you for, uh, for, for, for joining us. Uh, yeah, if you can, uh, Ismail, if you can give us a, a very quick intro on, uh, on yourself mm -hmm. and, and, and the company, and then we'll jump into yeah. your uh, adventures in funding and fundraising. Amazing. So thank you very much. I'm the founder of Lagrange. Uh, so we build infrastructure that increases the security and expressivity of how state can be used on chain and between chains. So broadly speaking, our primary product is a proving system that we call Zero Null MapReduce or ZK Big Data or ZK Big Data Stack. Um, that allows us to verify the result of data parallel computation run on top of on-chain state and zero knowledge. So where this is useful is use cases where you want to start being able to price things on-chain verifiably based on um, other on-chain parameter sets, or you want to be able to query and to interact with underlying data within a smart contract or between smart contracts more fluidly than you could otherwise do today. So awesome. uh, and we just raised our... Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was just going to say that this is a very hot space at the moment. So your, uh, you know, fundraise is coming quite, uh, quite, quite at the right, uh, the, the right time. Do you want to give us a little bit of background mm -hmm. of the actual fundraise? What did you raise? Uh, what yeah. was the instrument? Whatever you can share. So we raised our first round. Um, we announced it, I believe, in, in March. Um, March, I believe, um, which was a $4 million pre-seed led by 1KX with participation from Maven 11, Lattice Fund, CMT Digital, of course, Daedalus Angels, and, uh, and Gumi Crypto, um, as well as a number of um, smaller angels in the syndicate as well, um, who've been great helps to us. Awesome. And Ismail, what was the, the instrument of the round? Are you, if you're able to share, was it a, a, yeah. a token round, an equity round? It was equity plus token. Equity uh, token plus token. Board. So, yeah. Awesome. Got it. Okay. So let's jump into the questions. Let's start with how did you decide that it was the right time to raise these rounds? Was this, uh, uh, was there a process behind it? Was it market driven? Was it a milestone driven? Mm -hmm. You know, can you talk us through that? 
Yeah. The way I always think about fundraising is that capital is an accelerant. It allows you to do the things that you can do well now better. And by better, I mean you're no longer resource constrained on trying to build, on trying to, to partner, trying to, to market the, the in, for the things that you're already doing well today. Um, what I don't think it is, is a way to fix problems. Um, and so the heuristics we often use for fundraising is what is going well, and are we at the point where in taking on more capital, we're going to allow ourselves to outperform and exceed any competitor in market by now being able to resource more heavily against our strengths. And so when we raised this first round, it was very much at that point. We had had very a very strong early team. We were very excited about some of the, the early findings in our research, and we felt that we had the opportunity to partner into space with companies that, that we think will drive a lot of lasting value long-term. And so the, the taking on of capital was kind of an accelerant to those ends. That's an amazing way to look at it. I think I think that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, and how did you decide on the amount to raise? I mean, you know, we hear a lot mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs saying, "Oh, you know, I, I could do with capital to accelerate and stuff like that." And then, mm -hmm. you know, they they sort of you know often flip flop between I should just raise a small round now and then and then and then you know build a bit more and then raise a much larger yeah. round versus you know well capitalizing the company from the start. What was your process on deciding what to raise at this stage? That's a very good question. So there's I guess two main ways I like to think about how much to raise. There's obviously hard constraints that are that are externally imposed on a company's ability to raise by the broader market and the broader interest of investors in that market. So if you wanted to raise 100 at a billion post pre-product, likely you're not going to be able to do that, <laughs> irrespective of if you think that's going to help you accelerate. Um, but what I'd also say is when we think of the amount to raise, it's really about necessity. It is how much money do I need for my business to be able to reach the milestones I think are required for the next round, coupled with how much dilution do I want to take in order to, to, um, to take on that capital. And so for us, we, we had a number in mind, um, and we knew the $4 million was going to allow us to really accelerate our research, accelerate our partnerships and some of our distribution. Um, and so we wanted to, to resource against that. And so we felt that that was the right amount to do. That makes sense. And and was that the amount that you raised at the end? You weren't pushed into larger, smaller. The amount that you decided initially was actually what you ended up raising in the end, effectively. Yeah. So we we, we had decided on four initially, and that's how much we ended up raising. I think the, the thing that no one ever tells you about fundraising is, you know, the, the moment you get a term sheet, a lot of people who have been kind of originally been interested in the deal to an extent, now all feel pressure to try to deploy for allocation and to try mm -hmm. to push for allocation. So you very quickly go from, from zero committed before the mm -hmm. term sheet or, or some small amount committed from angels before the term sheet to being you know six, seven X over committed immediately. Yeah. Um, and so you, there's often the opportunity to raise more once you have your round filled. If, if it's oversubscribed and if you have the appetite for that dilution. But um, for us, we didn't feel that that was the right thing for that point of the business. We'd, we'd much rather take on the four like we did and then, and then take on more capital later on when we think the time is right for it based on our, based on our progress on milestones. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I guess on the term sheet, I think, you know, with a lot of investors, they want to mm -hmm. see who the lead is going to be because the lead has a certain influence exactly. on the company 
And we know mm-hmm. we've often seen, unfortunately, good companies being steered in the, in a, in a wrong direction by sort of the yeah. lead investor and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's normal that people want to see who the lead is because if they're comfortable yeah. with the fund being a good fund, then obviously One KX is a mm-hmm. is an amazing fund in your case, which which is why it's not surprising that, that people would kind phenomenal. of line up uh, line up behind yeah. them. Um, cool. So um, I guess my next question is um, because you were oversubscribed, how did you decide about which investors, I mean, you were in the fortunate position that you were oversubscribed, yeah. but that, that, that puts a very difficult decision on the team. How did you go about deciding who to ultimately let into the round, who to cut down, who to give the full allocation to? Yeah, it's a, it's a decision that has to be made bilaterally because what you'll find is a lot of investors who you like and people who you like, you'll have to sometimes push them down an allocation. And some of them will not be amenable to that. And some of them will not be willing to take a reduced allocation in the round. So you, you have to, to try to and to hope that, um, that broadly, you know, that, that the people who you want to work with will continue to want to work with you for lower, even with lower allocation, and that with the amount remaining, you can fit in the people who, who you all want in there. And I think people have to, to sacrifice there. People have to, to kind of compromise. And um, for us, we were, we were very fortunately able to get a lot of really phenomenal folks around the table with us who we're, uh, we're very excited about and we have been very, very happy with. That, that's an amazing, an amazing place to be. I suppose my, my, my question around choosing the investors, did you actually have a network of investors already? Like how did you go about contacting investors from sort of day zero when you decided to raise the round? Yeah. How did you go about uh, contacting? Did you, did you already know them? Did you ask for introductions? Mm-hmm. What was the process there? Yeah, I, I think, you 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 meet a you do meet a lot of investors when you're in the space, and so we had a network of some investors. Um, a lot of the investors who were in the round we didn't know ahead of time, and they were people who we met um, during the process and who we built relationships with during the process. And then obviously a lot of the investors who ended up being in the round were incredibly helpful early on in the intros. I mean, you guys in particular have always been very very helpful to us in meeting new funds and in growing our broader network as a company. Um, and so I would say that it's kind of, um, I guess a non-answer that, that it was a, a bit of everything. A bit of everything. Okay. Well, no, that, that makes yeah. sense. I, I, I guess, I guess you were kind of in the, in the, in the middle because we, you know, we see sometimes founders yeah. that are really well connected in the venture world. So mm-hmm. they just pick up the phone and call their friends that they've been yeah. hanging out at conferences and stuff. And you have the very opposite, exactly. which is you have founders that are starting something very new, often, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes academics that have never had exposure to the investment exactly. world. So you're somewhere in the middle, which, which I guess is a, is a good starting point um, it is. to basically start the, it is. Uh, the round. Um, I suppose then um, if you can talk me through uh, deciding on the instrument. So you were equity plus token warrant. Was it the original decision that you took? Was it that something that you kind of finalized with the lead? Um, mm-hmm. What was the process around deciding on the specific instrument? That was the initial uh, decision that we that we made um, going into the fundraise. We think it just makes sense with with our business and with everything there. Um, I, I'd say that you know that that broadly, I think that the selection of an instrument is something that people should be very cognizant of how they're making that selection. Mm-hmm. I think they should consult legal counsel. They should consult consult their network, their advisors. I should think very carefully about what the right one for their business is and for the trajectory that their business is taking. Um, and obviously, we we did all those things, and we were we were very fortunate to have good people on the table with us early on, who were able to give us give us good counsel. Awesome. 
Yeah, that's super important. Yeah, you know, we've seen, often we've seen sort of companies raise on a certain instrument and then having to struggle with that at the next round, you know, mm -hmm. they raise on a token first, the next round is equity, the token holders are going, yeah. but wait a second, you know, so 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 it's very important to get that, uh, to get that right, mm -hmm. raised, uh, uh, done right from the very beginning. Um, so as a, as a um, founder, have you raised funding before? Was this your first fundraising experience? Um, I raised a small round in university um, mm -hmm. for a startup that I had then. It was not a meaningful amount compared to compared to obviously where Lagrange is right now and what Lagrange is doing right now. But it kind of was a, a first experience to kind of dip my toe into into running a, trying to run a process and trying to to raise a round. Yeah, and what was the time the time from deciding to raise the round to actually having it all closed and the money in the bank roughly? Yeah. So for the last round, we ended up not fundraising at a time frame that was probably advisable. Um, yeah. The fundraise really kicked off in earnest right after FTX. Yeah. And Great. so obviously there was a bit of slowdown there. Yeah. No. Obviously there was a bit of slowdown there, um, and the broader market was was less than amenable to, to deploying out of that out of that kind of broader 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 environment. Um, but it fortunately it took us about I'd say month and a half two months from start to finish which so i think is amazing first it was the first round you know so it took a little bit longer i think you know sometimes companies are i think companies are a little bit later stage or oftentimes faster in the processes um and obviously there were things we could have probably done better and things that we did do well in that last process process um but yeah i i think fortunately um it wasn't it wasn't too long what would you say it was there anything uh, during the fundraising process that surprised you? Something that took longer, something that you would have expected to be simpler, but actually was more complicated. Was there anything that you kind of went yeah. after the fundraising was done? Wow, I didn't expect that to turn out that way. Um, I think, you know, I I I think so. I was a VC before as well. Um, my last job I was a VC, so I had a good idea of what the fundraising process entailed going into it. Mm -hmm. Um. That being said, I I think the part I probably underestimated was how difficult the decisions would be over selecting a lead and over um, building a syndicate. I think when you're looking at it from a deployment standpoint and you've made your decision that you want to get into the round, you you know you deploy and you 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 make a commitment to the round and you spend time with the entrepreneur hoping to to get allocation or with the intention of getting allocation. Um, and then you often, at least I didn't often think about how difficult that decision is of who to allow in the round. And oftentimes we found that it came down not to any sort of decision that related to our feeling about the fund of the person, but just into what we needed in that individual syndicate and what we needed to get the, the company to its next milestone. Um, and I, I think with that, like we, I didn't anticipate the decisions being so hard getting into it. And I didn't anticipate mm -hmm. us having to say no to people who we really, really liked. Or to push down people in allocation who we really, really liked and do really yeah. like. Yeah, that's it, it's 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 funny, you know, people obviously appreciate mm -hmm. that it's a fortunate position to be to be oversubscribed, but they don't they don't think about the fact that actually it is still quite a hard thing to to deal with when you have to say no to people you you, you like because you can't take everyone in the round when you're seven times exactly oversubscribed right you you, you exactly. do have to take make some some hard choices um, exactly is there anything that you would do differently like if you were to to kind of you know flick a magic switch and, and go back in time now with knowing what you know is there anything that you would do differently in approaching this round 
it's hard to say I, I have done I have done anything differently because we're so happy with how the syndicate turned out and the people that we have in there. Like I, I could not be more happy with 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 one KX as the lead and, and all the tremendous funds like Maven, Lattice, DMP, Daedalus, Gumi, et cetera, who are in the syndicate. So it's hard to say I'd do anything different if if that and if we had to end up with a different syndicate at the end. But what I what I would say is, you know, um I think that there are materials and document preparation and kind of some of the, the the hard logistics and operational considerations that go into a process that we probably would have been more crisp on for the first conversations, having no, knowing now what in theory people would would want to see. Makes sense. That leads me into the next question uh, quite well about the legal part of the round. So the documentation part of the round, can you? Yeah. Give us a bit of flavor of how that played out. You 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 got the lead. That was the term sheet. Then did they provide the longer docs? Did they ask you to draft the the longer docs? What was the the process there? Yeah. So I don't want to go too much into the the details on the exact legal process there. Obviously, out of respect for for mm -hmm. for everyone involved. But I can say that we were very fortunate to have very good counsel. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that we suggest for for most entrepreneurs and and most people who are doing their first fundraiser. They work with a really experienced venture law firm um, since this is, you know, uh, oftentimes the first the first thing that, this is the first time most entrepreneurs, or it will be the first time most entrepreneurs are fundraising, but it will not be the first time that their their, their law firm, hopefully, and that their counsel has dealt with and interacted with <laughs> with uh, a venture deal box. Um, and that was, that was something that uh, we fortunately had around the table with us. Um, as well as very good advisors and just a broad network who were able to kind of work with us. But fortunately, everything yeah. was, was rather straightforward throughout that process. Yeah, okay, perfect. Um, and I suppose on, on that side, I mean, what would, you, would be your advice? I mean, I think you've, you, you've, actually, mm -hmm. you've actually mentioned something very important, but I suppose if you were to advise somebody that's kind of thinking about their next uh, fundraise, what would, yeah. you, would be your advice um, right now for somebody yeah. that's looking at their first fundraise? My advice would be to have conversations uh, informally and to understand how investors think about what you're building, think about your deal and what the appetite is for it. And to say, and, you know, to be very, to be very honest and transparent with investors you speak with and say, you know, what are your concerns about this deal, but what I'm building? You know, I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs get very emotionally invested in what they build and for good reason. It's, you know, you're, mm. you're, you're putting a large amount of effort into creating something in market that you're really hoping to have a lasting and powerful impact. But the flip side of that is, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes struggle to take criticism of what they build. But being objective on the strengths of what you build and the inherent weaknesses that come along with those strengths often is a very important way to understand how a third party, like an investor looking at your deal, would assess it. Um, and so, you know, one of the questions I always love to ask investors is, you know, even when we're not raising, is that if we were raising today, what would be your biggest concerns about about this deal? What are the things that you would look at and say, you know, this is a check mark in the in the green column. This is a great deal. I wanted to play into it. What are the things in the red column? Um, and that's something that we think is is very helpful because it allows you to kind of separate from the excitement you feel for your company and to be able to understand how the broader market would see you. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it 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 definitely is uh, is something that um, a lot of people shy away from. You know, when they yeah. look at the concerns, they they want to block them out and just think about the positives. Exactly. But I think acknowledging the concerns is actually incredibly important because it allows you exactly. to kind of work 
we'd work through them with the investors and 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 with your team and and, and things like exactly. that. Exactly. So that makes and it's helpful to, to the overall business as well, because I think with every strength that a company has, it often has an inherent weakness if it's not yeah. properly addressing it or properly thinking it through. Right. You, you're the speed that you move to market also means you can overcommit to a path. If you're moving too slow in what you're building and you're and you're very um, innovative and novel and you're, everything's from first principles, you could miss opportunities and go to market and opportunities to build a mm -hmm. moat around developer experience and user experience that your competitor might do. And so these aren't bad decisions to err towards one side or the other, but they come often with inherent weaknesses. And it's important to be very transparent and cognizant of those. So you can assess and continue to reassess your assumptions that were made in the in the uh, in making those decisions. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, Ismail, my last question for you: mm -hmm. um, Is there any behavior that was unexpected from investors that you came across uh, that 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 you wish investors didn't do? Um, yeah that should be kind of that people should look out for and even if it's advice for investors you know that that they should analyze that they're analyzing their own kind of uh, approach um is yeah. there anything that that you would point out and, and and say that maybe requires some revision yeah i would say so broadly i'd say the the deployment of risk capital into early stage enterprise is one of the most productive economic levers that i think exists that being said when anything involves the pursuit of profit, it often brings out the worst behavior in people, just broadly speaking. And I think there are, there are always going to be investors um, who do not act in the best interest of the companies they invest in and do not act in the best interest of the companies they're trying to invest in and go into a process trying to optimize for, for personal gain, as opposed to optimizing for a, an effective bilateral partnership with the company. And I'd say that like the, 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 one of the things I believe is that if we look at a lot of the funds that are at the top in web three and in web two and have been there for a while, like one KX, them being there is hallmarked by them being honest and mm -hmm. acting in the best interest of entrepreneurs, even entrepreneurs who they're not on the cap table. With. Um, and I think this is why some of the great funds have been there for so long um, and why they will continue to be there because they, they are looking to benefit and help the broader ecosystems that they operate in. And they don't optimize for personal gain at the loss of, of other people in entrepreneurs um, success. They, they, they try to work with, collaborate with and help the whole ecosystem grow together. Um, and that's something that, that we think is very important for operators to look for in a partner, um, as that is, is one of the things that helps a company succeed long term. Amazing. Um, Ismail, this, is, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you so much um, for your time. Um, you know, we, 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 uh, we're looking forward to publishing this and, uh, you know, showing it to the, to the community and uh, uh, really excited to have you as the first guest. guest. Of course. And I have to add, you guys are you guys are one of our favorite uh, favorite groups in the cap table. We uh, we awesome. love to have you guys on there, and you've been supportive of us uh, since day one. Super excited to hear that. Super excited to hear that.